Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm speaking today with Yorna Langelan, who is the captain of EcoClipper and one of the founders of the, the organization. Um, it's, it's a little bit filling in a gap here in terms of the coverage that uh, we've been doing around the, the kind of broader regenerative movement in that we've mostly tended to talk to people on the land, which is not surprising because this is, this is where uh, you know, the food industry has a, a big footprint and where a lot of the response that seems obvious to folks uh, is involved in things like changing the way crops are grown and that sort of thing. But it's important that we don't forget the ocean. It's important that we actually realize we're not a green planet so much as a blue planet. And I think he will be very interested uh, as we speak with Jorn to get a clearer sense also of the relationship uh, that shipping has to do with not just regenerative practices, taking care, stewarding the ocean itself, but how that whole issue of more sustainable use of energy fits in. So I'm looking forward to this. Good morning, Yorna, and welcome to Designers of Paradise. Good morning, Eric. Thank you uh, very much for uh, the invitation and uh, looking forward to our talk here. Like, like I said, um, I'm excited about this. I think that regeneration broadly has an implication that it deals with our, our energy use, certainly looking at climate and impacts has a more specific attention paid to, to energy use. I think shipping in general is not something the average person really spends a lot of time thinking about. So this is an important conversation for that. And I have to say there's something else that's being regenerated as I go through your, um, your website, look at the imagery, look at the postings that you put out on social media and that sort of thing. And that's to say, it's not just regenerating hope, which is a theme of our podcasts, but it's kind of regenerating the sense of romanticism because what you're talking about is shipping under sail power again. 
And there's something about that that I, I believe really, really captures the human spirit. Can you first um, give us a definition of a clipper? Because I think these days people think about cutting their toenails. Yes. So um, a clipper, a clipper is a kind of ship with very uh, sharp lines, uh, built for speed and uh, with a lot of uh, sail area. And that sail area is also supposed to be used uh, day and night by daring and daring and uh, experienced uh, skippers, making full purpose of the of the elements and uh, meteorological circumstances to uh, do the best and possible uh, voyages. Uh, clipper ships were developed in the 19th century, um, and really uh, they were the height of uh, sailing ship design. So basically the height of emission-free shipping. But what you're talking about is some, some conceptual and actual territory that, that looks back to this cutting edge design of its time, but also looks forward in that we're not just doing museum replicas for the sake of having something nice to look at. Yes, definitely. We, we look look a lot forward and uh, we cho have chosen for the clipper ship design because that is kind of the point where uh, shipping and long distance uh, traveling uh, stopped uh, working with sailing ships and uh, then uh, steam and later motor vessels were introduced. So, so it's really the top of, um, of innovation from that time. And of course, since then, since uh, like, let's say the past hundred years, there were many other innovations uh, talking about um, different navigation systems with GPS, uh, innovations in uh, material use. So moving from uh, wood to composite, which would be a combination with a wooden hull and steel framing, and then later uh, even steel. And then uh, also on the fabric of the sails in the beginning, of course, the sails would be uh, hemp or cotton. And uh, throughout the past um, century, there has been a whole innovation of moving from, um, from cotton to uh, uh, duradon and, and uh, uh, more synthetic materials like this. Uh, of course, funnily enough, we might see another innovation coming up the coming hundred years where we actually would return to cotton and hemp sales also to um, address the, 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 the plastic pollution issue. But that's another story, I guess. Okay, so um, we know now that a clipper is a kind of ship that it's, it, it's been with us for quite some time. It's definitely proven itself. And um, it hasn't sat on a shelf as an antique. Uh, and you had mentioned when we were preparing for this call, you had mentioned uh, something about hidden factors of logistics. Um, and so maybe, we could, maybe you could talk a little bit about that whole, that whole area of activity and how that uh, what kind of impact that has on the, the balance of, of energy and, and ecology on the planet. Yes. Um, 
it's of course uh, uh, really important to look at uh, at history and science and see what actually brought us here in our uh, globalized economy. And if we are looking at the day-to-day -day products we use, about 90% from everything we use has been uh, shipped over sea at a certain point and often several times. And uh, what is really uh, the reason of this is that shipping has become so uh, efficient and cheap that for an entrepreneur, for a business owner, it doesn't really matter anymore where the product uh, has been produced. Back in the, in the days of, um, uh, of sailing ships and even later, uh, uh, like before the, the time of uh, containers, uh, it was uh, still quite costly to, to uh, transport goods over the globe. So for that reason, a lot of the goods were produced locally where they were also used. And in the past um, uh, 30 or 40 years, that whole model has pretty much uh, totally changed. So what we have seen is that uh, the shipping costs have really uh, dropped to almost non-existent. And that has moved uh, a lot of industries from uh, Northern America, from Europe uh, to Asia, uh, because um, business owners would just be looking at the places where uh, the, the labor was as cheap as possible and where the environmental laws were, uh, were as light as possible or as non-existent as possible. And that was often in, um, in, in the South, in, uh, in countries, uh, well, where basically um, uh, the uh, financially or economically poorer countries. And um, yeah, that has a, a enormous impacts on our society, but yet we don't really realize that. We don't really realize if we get uh, to a store and we buy a T-shirt or so, where it came from and how it was uh, distributed. Also the shipping, although it's very uh, efficient uh, cost-wise, um, the, actually the bill, the, the real bill, even cost-wise, uh, will be paid by the future generations because the shipping might be very efficient cost-wise, but it's, it's one of the most inefficient uh, industries uh, towards the environment. It's interesting too, because as we're discussing about the impacts of shipping, we're again looking more at movement of materials, right? And, and, and that debt, you know, the debt to be paid by future generations or not able to be paid even. Um, but there's this other implication, which is the support and the perpetuation, the, con the continuation of, of um, negative impacts on workers in countries who aren't paid properly. You know, the things, things such as uh, fashion uh, industry, things like a production of primary resources, sugar and, and palm oil, and, and these sorts of things tend to be treated separately um, 
and it's important they're treated in, in terms of the local impact and, and, and the local conditions which, which facilitate that, which support its con continuing. But we forget about the fact that it's the cheapness of modern shipping which enables that imbalance to be kept going. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did mention that. And so yeah, yeah, it's even uh, it's even this harsh that uh, it's now often cheaper if if uh, a rich country like uh, well we're here in the Netherlands if a rich country would have uh, garbage it's often cheaper to to just send it away halfway across the globe than to uh, dispose of it or uh, recycle it uh, here in the Netherlands. So there's a lot of uh, garbage being shipped around, uh, which is, yeah, very, uh, well, which has very low value. But because the shipping is so cheap, um, it's um, economically feasible. Yeah, it, it, it's justifiable on somebody's bottom line accounting sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but in no other, in no way constable. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, we are sitting here in the Netherlands, although different parts of the country. Um, and I'm curious uh, how you got into this. I mean, I know the Netherlands, of course, has a large part of its economy and a large part of its, its uh, history on the sea in shipping. But I understand you also have a particular connection to that. Uh, maybe, maybe bring us into that a little bit. Yeah, that, that is right. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, the Netherlands, it, it is basically the sea. If, uh, if the dikes wouldn't be here, it would be uh, submerged. It's a, it's a river delta. And uh, yeah, historically, it has been uh, always very much into trade and shipping. My personal background is from a ship, shipping, ship owning uh, family. Uh, I went to uh, sea when I was 12. Uh, in the school holidays on the coastal cargo ship of my uncle, ship's captain, uh, ship owner. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would get this adventure of sailing with these ships, sailing cargo. We would go from the Netherlands to Denmark, to Sweden, to Germany. And uh, these were motor ships uh, because um, yeah, in my youth, <laughs> the sailing ships were, were long gone. But um, but it really ingrained this, uh, this maritime tradition, this, this sea lore. And when I would be at home uh, at my, uh, my parents' place, my father would have a, a library of books about sailing ships. And that really triggered me. I, I would always be very interested in that. At a certain point, I didn't want to sail with my family anymore. I wanted to go into the real world, kind of outside. Um, the, the safety of family. So I asked my father to, if, uh, if he would be able to find another ship, uh, which was not owned by my family. Uh, and so he called like all his contacts and every, everybody. And at a certain point I got on, on this, uh, it was actually in the beginning very difficult because I was 15 years old. And in the Netherlands, there was this uh, shipping law where you're not allowed to have people of 15 years old as a crew member on a commercial ship. Um, but then finally he found uh, one ship which was um, flying the, the Cyprus flag. And there I could uh, join as a, 
uh, well, as a, as a deckman, deckhand, uh, ordinary seaman or ship's boy. And this captain here, <clears throat> I met. Uh, this was a voyage from the Netherlands to Italy and back with a cargo of borax, some industrial uh, material, uh, where which is used for the glassmaking industry. And this captain, he was uh, revealing me the possibility to work on sailing ships because. Uh, uh, in, in the Netherlands especially, but, but worldwide, there were still a lot of sailing ships commercially sailing with passengers uh, instead of cargo. And yeah, he, he really brought me to, because he saw me making all the time drawings about sailing ships. I was highly interested in that. And he said, well, maybe what would be something for you is go on sailing ships. And uh, yeah, I actually did that. And uh, yeah, I'm still very much um, um, very happy that he, he showed me this way. And that really started my career uh, in sail. So the first sailing ship I, uh, I signed on, I, I was like 18 years old or 17. And uh, yeah, that really opened, uh, opened my world there. But that, that was with passengers. And while sailing on these ships, I really got to but to know the winds and the tides and the, the whole nature of, of sailing, the natural way of sailing. But also I missed something. And, and what I missed here, we were just sailing people from A to B or sometimes even from A to A. And um, it was very nice to, to, to be with those people, but it was also, uh, yeah, sometimes it felt a bit senseless or useless. I came from the shipping world where we would transport cargo. And I, I started dreaming about transporting cargo with sailing ships. So in a sense, there's that question that, that was hanging in the air of what's the point of this? And you needed to come up with a better point than, than a, a day out, I guess. Yeah. It, that, that is how it felt uh, not in those days. Uh, now, when I'm like more than 20 years later, I realized that that part of, um, of sailing with a crew, of, of introducing people to the last, vast, enormous wilderness the ocean is, uh, that is actually a goal by itself. And yes, it is very good, and it, it has a it has a very important role to transport this cargo uh, as a red red line, like kind of vision. But on the other hand, it is uh, it is as important to introduce people to nature and uh, and and take them along on voyages. And uh, the romance and adventure, the salt water on your lips. So that's um, something else that you're doing. And it's not just about moving goods and or moving more of the goods. You're, you're also moving concepts. Yeah, you're, you're moving ideas. You're moving attention and this sort of thing. But the social aspects, the community building aspects, the very much kind yes. of transformative experience that, that is, is, is made possible um, is something that, that comes across quite strongly. Um, you had mentioned also about kind of the heart, where you feel the heart of this whole eco-clipper venture. 
sits um, as in terms of its place in, in the larger sustainability quest. Could you maybe speak a little to that? Yes. <clears throat> so as a society right now, we are so much under pressure of really ourselves, of really uh, the, the stories uh, we are in and the stories um, and the old stories, um, well, re reasonably old, um, who don't really work anymore for the survival of, uh, of life on earth, you could call it that way. And, um, and, and you, you see that throughout any, uh, any industry and uh, shipping is, yeah, it's just a link. It, it is a link. So we have to, um, I believe, we have to uh, change uh, many of our ways. We have to change the way we do agriculture. We have to change the way we do uh, project production. We have to change the way we cope with each other. We have to change the way uh, we, um, we have our politics, but also we have to change the way uh, we ship our goods and we travel. And the first win comes from, uh, from less, really. So, so right now, um, of all the stuff we use around us, like 90% has been traveled to, a, us, to us over water. And if you look way back, uh, it would be the other way around. And if you would look in the future, I believe the only uh, real thing what would make sense is to, uh, to move towards that uh, local economy again. So this, this could take a lot of different shapes. Of course, uh, it could take the shape where, um, where there will be uh, local agriculture, where we get our food from, uh, like... Um, like um, uh, like like gardens um, around our cities or through our cities even uh, gardens on our rooftops um, uh, like uh, unused office buildings who can be reused to become vertical um, agriculture things like this uh, has all to happen to to localize the economy uh, in the production of goods. It can also be that uh, every city or every town would have its own uh, 3D printing plant that would be kind of like, um, like the high-tech view of things. A more low-tech view of things would be the uh, re reinstallment of, the, of the, the, the guild system of, uh, of, of master, journeyman, apprenticeship um, uh, kind of ways. Um, to, um, to, to produce uh, products uh, in, in a, on a local scale. So, so the first uh, win really is uh, in shipping and traveling is localization. So, so less traveling, less transporting. So now we're looking at 90% of all the goods we are, uh, we are shipping and it should go to 10% of, of, of all the goods we use should be uh, shipped far away and <clears throat> and then those 10% of the goods we still um, we still will import overseas they should be of course uh, transported in an emission free and uh, sustainable way 
And one of our, our biggest uh, opportunities there is with wind. The wind is a proven technology to use on ships to bring goods over very long distances without any emissions. So, um, so for hundreds and thousands of years, uh, it, it has been, um, it has been uh, experienced and innovation on innovation on innovation has been um, uh, developed. And yeah, at a certain point, about a hundred years ago or so, that, that whole line of innovation was uh, stopped because of the, um, the use of fossil fuels, uh, the, the invention of the, of the steam engine and later the, the diesel engine. And uh, yeah, we, we know now in what situation we are um, because of uh, the use of fossil fuels. And, and now it's up to our generation to depart from them again. And in transport, the most straightforward way is using the endless power of the wind. We're going to take a break now, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A.com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. We're speaking today with Jorna Langelan from ecoclipper.org. So that's all great in terms of motivation and, and, and vision and, and that sort of uh, angle on, on your work with EcoClipper. Um, in concrete terms, where are you in terms of innovation and design of these, of these um, upgraded and, and rethought systems? Yes. So if we would look right now, we have a, a prototype, the, the, the EcoClipper 500 prototype. And that is a, a set of, uh, of designs, of drawings, um, which are developed far enough to, uh, to give shipyards the possibility uh, to, uh, to further develop it and give quotations. So we are in the middle of the of the, the round where we are talking with shipyards, and um, and also uh, we are uh, on on another track uh, developing the business case and uh, and the financial modeling. So when uh, it becomes uh, totally clear uh, what the price tag is uh, for for each uh, ship built, then we can very easily enroll the, the business plan and invite uh, partners uh, to, to join uh, this, uh, this exciting uh, project. So partly these ships will be financed 
through through ethical banks uh, like um, uh, like uh, with a with a ship mortgage. So that would would be most likely about fifty percent of the of the financing, and then the other fifty percent would come from people like you and me through uh, through crowdfunding or throughout uh, other ways of um, of investing. And if, if listeners are jumping out of their seats with enthusiasm, even right now, um, do you have a crowdfunding platform already in place that they could contribute something to? So right now we are, um, we are in the stage of uh, preparation. Um, however, it is possible to, um, uh, to uh, uh, reach out to us already um, we have had a, a first round of, uh, of investment, but th that is uh, closed now. And um, the, the raised uh, capital uh, has, been, uh, has been used to develop this, uh, this prototype and also uh, to, to develop the, the company structure. And now the next step will be the investing in the first ship. And yeah, we really see like every, um, every week or sometimes almost daily people reaching out to us asking information about uh, investing. And um, yeah, so, so um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep a list. And at the moment that the model is ready, uh, those will be the first uh, people we will reach out to to, uh, uh, to send more information uh, about the, the opportunities and possibilities and uh, and chances to uh, to, for, to to push this um, this new industry forward and and it's very interesting uh, because these people uh, also the people who invested like in the first round are often people who are really um, really thinking about okay well um, I really like traveling but I don't really want to fly anymore. How, how will my future traveling life look, look like? And will, will I, I'll just be staying close to home, just doing, uh, taking the train or, 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 or the bicycle? Um, or will I sometimes do some flying? And some people are like, well, okay, I'm going to invest in EcoClipper now because then I know for sure that this company will develop um, an an, like an opportunity to uh, to continue traveling from uh, from a continent to continent uh, without uh, emissions and without um, uh, without a large footprint. If people want to register their interest now, then uh, is it, in terms of crowdfunding, in terms of that sort of support for your projects, uh, or for even the by supporting the project to support the the larger initiative and the idea itself uh ecoclipper.org is the best place for them to go and and sign up yeah definitely so uh, ecoclipper.org if you go there there's a possibility to sign up for the newsletter and then also um, you can fill in your preferences if you're interested in more uh, information about investing or you're more interested in more information about sailing along about the the, the travel uh, possibilities or maybe you're more interested you have a you have like a product or you're an importer 
and you you have been looking for ways to import your product uh, emission free. Um, so um, so yeah, we we are often um, asked by uh, importers nowadays who, who import their goods and they look throughout their entire uh, product uh, cycle and uh, they they already brought in a lot of improvements but often it kind of stops with the transport uh, especially when it's like a, a product which which has to come from a, from a far distance so there is of course products uh, you cannot produce locally uh, for example um, um, yeah in in, in Europe uh, cacao or tea or coffee these are products uh, we really like as a matter of fact I'm drinking a cup of coffee right now so uh, we still uh, would like to consume those but uh, yeah they, they have to come from afar and for example we are talking now with a with a German uh, importer of of pepper, they they import uh, pepper from uh, Cambodia, and they work with like a lot of small farmers, um, and they really, yeah, they really like that um, uh, sustainable way of uh, of doing business. But they import their uh, their pepper with uh, container ships because they don't have an alternative. They they uh, reached out to us now, and they are saying like, well, when can you? Uh, can you start a shipping line between Asia and Europe to bring our pepper? And, <clears throat> and yeah, so, so we are uh, cooperating with them. But then also, <clears throat> like there, they like, um, uh, yeah, they import like something like maybe 20 or 30 tons of pepper yearly. So that doesn't fill a ship, of course. So uh, the EcoClipper prototype will uh, transport uh, like 500 tons um, or, or a little less. Uh, so, so we are talking with other partners as well to combine uh, the cargo in, in a ship like this. And so, yeah, people who come to our website and, and our importers or are interested in shipping also have the opportunity to say, okay, well, we actually want to import this uh, this coffee from Indonesia or uh, can you transport that for us in a sustainable way and yes, yeah go ahead Sorry. yeah there is a, there is the part of like a carbon footprint there's the part of like um, like um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions but we also look at a lot of different other uh, parts who are important. For, for making the, the shipping world sustainable. As an example, uh, nowadays, uh, all, the, all the, the, the cargo ships, they work uh, with, uh, with engines, with propellers. And those propellers give a lot of underwater noise, which is the cause of, um, of dolphins and whales uh, losing their ability to navigate and washing up ashore. So for this reason, we decided not to build in an engine and we totally go uh, with sail power. Um, there's more things like, like the, well, the, the, the recent, uh, the recent uh, uh, crazy uh, happening of this bulk carrier ending up on uh, on Mauritius 
broken up and spilling like um, like thousand tons of heavy fuel oil on pristine reef. Um, things like this. If you don't have an engine, you don't have to put uh, fuel oil in your ship. So if for a certain reason uh, you end up a shipwreck, that oil is not going to be spilled in the ocean. So so things like that. We are looking at the uh, the energy used for the crew on board so for the cooking for the lights and uh, installing windmills and solar panels on board so that energy can be uh, uh, can be uh, produced sustainably it strikes me as particularly poetic that um, the re-entry of, of sail-powered shipping will be supported by the movement of pepper. Given that the whole age of shipping and exploration and colonization uh, had its roots in the quest for pepper by Europeans. Um, and, and so maybe there's a completion of a circle here where the next iteration then is actually aware and careful and responsible rather than pillaging and colonizing. There's something lovely this about is that. Of course, uh, this is, of course, a very uh, important part. And, um, and yeah, there, there, is a, there is a lot of uh, harm done with, um, uh, yeah, in, in the past and still, of course, with colonization and with, um, well, the horrors of the slave ships uh to 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 mention one of the like most unbelievable um like chapters of uh, international trading um but of course uh a sailing ship by itself it is just a tool and in that way uh neutral um it's kind of like um yeah like um like the act of agriculture it well it can be debated of course but it is how you how you do certain things uh and and what your um, your values are behind it um and, and then there's another uh, important uh factor uh, to keep in mind like yes it is true that um like in the in the 16th and 17th century the cargoes mainly existed of goods uh, of exclusive um, value which could only be um, be uh, yeah be be transported from from those areas because the the economies by itself the the current the, like the the economies who were for example in Europe by those days they were uh, local so they didn't really need any uh, any other products uh, than uh, than the specialities the, the the things who had to come from far away because they were not known like pepper like spices like uh, these kind of products and uh, yeah since the the economies were totally local uh, there was only uh, a demand for um, for products who were not local.
Um, I want to ask you about how you imagine um, the lessons we are currently learning uh, with the COVID pandemic and the implications for moving forward through a phase we hope will involve, we hope, uh, will involve recovery and adaptation to new ways of doing things. Clearly, <clears throat> sail power shipping is a big part of that. Um, and that element of, of, of what we need to regenerate. Um, I, I, I get a sense already that the, the regeneration of, of local economics, local production, and although not really touched on as much in terms of uh, getting people off of airplanes and you know, more thoughtful so that their choice to go someplace becomes about the journey again, rather than just being destination focused. And that's something that kind of slower movement on the sea could, could, can bring. But there's so many other elements of that that need to be sewn together. And it's um, the fact that shipping and ships literally link things together physically and geographically it makes me think that there's also a lot of uh, conceptual and um, strategic linking that, that can be modeled through this, although not every single element is necessarily a direct result. But what, what, is your, what are your thoughts in, in terms of moving forward beyond or in consideration of COVID? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, if we look at the kind of the basic uh, causes of, uh, of COVID or the or the underlying, um, yeah, the underlying problems there. It is a, it is of course, um, um, it is of course a, a, a societal um, like hazard or pandemic or 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 happening, which is very much linked to uh, to the way uh, we as as humans. Uh, have been uh, yeah ha have been using our earth, so so it's very much linked to the deforestation and the losing of uh, of natural uh, habits. Uh, so that's kind of the 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 source where where this all comes from. So well, like like you say, the word regeneration. Uh, I think first of all to um, to deal with this COVID, uh, the, the basic is to regenerate our earth. Um, and that's of course on a, on a huge uh, scale of things. If we, if we take uh, an, an, a few, few steps, uh, steps uh, further, um, further down and, and uh, specify a little bit more and, and look at, uh, at the role of transport in all of this, then uh, yeah, we, it became very, very clear during during this uh, period that a lot of our countries are very much depending on industries uh, very far away, uh, who uh, who might be under threat as well. Like, um, like, uh, well, to, to name something like the the, in the industries of China. Um, so. 
so so that that by itself is a reason to say okay we we need more localization um then looking uh looking at another uh interesting thing like um what we have seen is that uh, people who are living in areas with a lot of uh, fine dust and a lot of um, a lot of emissions um, are more uh, are, are more likely to um, to be harmed from the from the, the COVID um, uh, illness. Uh, so so there's a there's a big um, yeah, the, the, there's a big point of okay, uh, also stopping with uh, with using fossil fuels, uh, and and also for shipping, of course, and and that is uh, that is linked again uh, a lot about our traveling habits. So um, yeah, very, one of one of the very uh, very much emitting and 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 putting out emissions is of course the aviation industry, and uh, again there it means. Uh, a, we should be striving for a lot less traveling, and if we travel, to travel on ways which are emission-free. And one of them is a sailing ship. Uh, also, looking at uh, at another aspect, which is um, which is the 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 thing of um, of quarantine, like um, like flying all over the place with airplanes. Uh, it's a very uh, easy and fast way to spread uh, pandemics like this. However, if the traveling would be uh, would be a lot slowed down, uh, it would be uh, uh, a lot easier to keep um, to keep these pandemics in hand. And of course, with sailing ships, travel just takes a lot longer. So uh, so when people arrive after a sea voyage with a sailing ship, they basically have had already weeks of quarantine. So you can be sure that the people arriving uh, won't be ill. There's many aspects to this, uh, but uh, yeah, the, the hope is there, of course, that this, uh, this uh, pandemic and COVID uh, was another uh, wake up call and hopefully, um, um, yeah, hopefully uh, it, it, it is the, the wake-up call which does uh, wake up our society. Um, and of course, it is a bit of a rude awakening. Uh, but yeah, um, that, that, that is when, when you are so far astray, then uh, the awakening becomes more and more rude, <laughs> I guess. Yes, the alarm is going to keep ringing until you finally get out of the bed. Um, we're coming up to the end of our, our time here. I want to just um, touch on one more, one more element that I think maybe isn't, isn't obvious from the conversation. When you go on to ecoclipper.org, the website that you've got, um, and I really encourage all the listeners to immediately hop on there and, 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 and explore that. Um, you're also offering experience and you're offering some some training on on how to sail or how to be part of the crew and that sort of thing so it's not like people need to wait for your prototype to be completed before they can engage meaningfully and and in a way they enjoy 
Am I correct about that? Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, currently um, um, we have a program where we are uh, where we are opening up. Like we are a startup, um, but we have a program where we offer internships uh, for people to um, to yeah basically go into uh, into the, the the shipping business in our office. Um, and later on, when the ships will be sailing, uh, there will be the opportunity uh, for people to join uh, as a trainee and learn the arts of square rig seamanship. So that's beautiful. Um, last, any, any last uh, bits of information or, or perspective you want to put across before we stop today? Well, really, <clears throat> the wind is blowing out there and we can make use of it and it is still there for the next man to use. Let's do that. That's beautiful. Joanna, thanks you so much. I know, I, I know that you're a busy captain and a busy startup. Uh, I really appreciate you finding the time to speak with us today. And um, for the listeners, there, do check out the, the podcast page as well, because there will be a series of, of links for further information there. Thanks again, Joanna. Thank you very much, Eric. Ahoy. Okay, ahoy. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of designing paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.